Well, hello everyone. Welcome home. My name's Luke, and uh, and sincere welcome to you wherever you're joining from, whether you're online or you're at one of our campuses, Mountain Road or Edgewood or Abingdon. Uh, and hey, hold on here. Did you know? Did you? I mean, I know some of you know, but did did you know that? This weekend is, in fact, the first time, after a long wait, after much anticipation, this is the weekend we, where we are on a Sunday morning worshiping at our Aberdeen campus for the very first time. Can you believe it? Exciting stuff. Hello to everyone gathering at Aberdeen. We call this the uh, soft launch. We only publicize it to mountain folks. And so the core Aberdeen, Aberdeen team is up there. They're settling in and getting ready for the public launch, which is next weekend. And a reminder, if you want to have a hand in helping give birth to this baby, uh, now's the time. You can use one of these cards. They're at our campuses, at the kiosks, or there's a digital one as well. It's a way to say, I'm in. I'm going to go be a part of it. I'm going to help, uh, help get it going. Or you, maybe it's time for you to get engaged or to get re-engaged in a different place. All of those things are crucial, and there could not be a better time to ante up and invest your life and your purpose and your gifts and your resources and your prayers into this mission that continues to reproduce in all kinds of new ways. And then, of course, remember, next weekend is Easter. We've been talking about that. We celebrate Jesus is alive. The Aberdeen campus is coming to life. And so we want to say welcome home to, to anyone and everyone that we can, to people maybe that you have been praying for. An, another reminder on this card, either you can say, I've been praying for uh, th these people. These are the people that God has brought to the center of my concern. And hopefully the Spirit opens up an opportunity for you to invite them for a great Easter celebration next weekend as well. Uh, today, of course, is, uh, is Palm Sunday, the weekend before. And it... It marks a uh, homecoming celebration of sorts for Jesus as he comes in to Jerusalem. And uh, the last few weeks, we've been listening to Jesus as he's told a story that is also about a homecoming. It's a parable. And probably, you know, next to maybe the Good Samaritan, it is the most famous story ever quoted from Jesus. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, you've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. It's, it's famous enough. There's a TV show named after it. Uh, even people who have never read the Bible have some idea. When you hear prodigal son, you have some idea of what that refer, refers to. And we're going to get to the end of it today. And you know, interesting thing about this story, uh, not the TV show, I don't know anything about that, but the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, you see, it really doesn't resolve completely. Like at the end, it just doesn't get all the way landed. It's a cliffhanger, a little bit. Doesn't fully arrive at the place that, that it should, or, or at, least, uh, at least that I think it should. Uh, we'll have to see what you think. Because we do, we wanna bring this series to a close today, um, hoping very much that Jesus' words would, would land with us and would, would stick with us in all the ways that God would want for it to happen. So uh, let's go there, Luke 15. Uh, turn on your Bible or open up your Bible. If, you, if you've got it, we're going to the middle of Luke chapter 15. And you read this story. We've been listening to it for about three weeks now. And uh, you've, you're familiar with it if you've been around. And it goes a little bit something like this. Uh, there was a man who had two sons. Now, we only know about the younger one and his notorious request. He goes into his father and he asks if he can have his share of the inheritance right now. And to everyone's surprise, the, the father obliges. I mean, th this was a serious affront to the father, essentially saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Uh, he, he's he's this, making this brash move, playing upon the good graces of his father because he wants more. 
There's got to be more to life than this. And so he, he takes what the father gives him and he goes. And he goes off to, to a distant country. And once, once he gets there, he, he spends it all. Everything he got. He lives prodigally, uh, to put it in terms that you would never use. Uh, wastefully, extravagantly. Okay? He drains the balance down to zero which doesn't put him in a great position to handle uh, the famine that overtakes the land. Uh, And eventually he finds himself in a desperate place, hires himself out to uh, a pig farmer. And it gets so bad to the place where even the pigs were eating better than he was, as uh, Kirk reminded us with Miss Bacon. Uh, So it's there in in the pig pen, in a place of, of deep regret and great need, when finally it's like, The light bulb goes off and he comes to his senses and he resolves to go home. He prepares a great speech, in fact. Well, it's not like like a a great speech. It's it's the kind of speech you give when you're you're just so ashamed of yourself. You're, You're embarrassed. You're an embarrassment to other people. Like your actions have been so damaging and and no matter how great of a feeling of sorry that you can muster up, you, you know it won't do anything to fix what you screwed up. It won't heal the wounds that you caused. It won't curb the anger. It may not even stave off the retaliation, which, which you know you deserve because, well, you, you lied, you cheated, you were selfish, you were careless, but, but you got no other options. You know, you, you've already tried every other way to reassemble the pieces of your life on your own. You, you've already gone to great lengths to avoid reckoning with the truth about the decisions that you're making and the path that you're on. Your strength and your wit and your independent spirit have now led you to a place that they can't get you out of. And so you got nothing left to say except I'm not worthy. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what the boy is prepared to say if he can get an audience with his dad. Like, if you could just give me a job so I could fill my belly, I'll just keep my head down and work for you. Which, again, okay, I'm not trying to be too judgmental here, but that looks like just another example of the kid trying to solve his own problems on his own strength. Like, if he can negotiate this, hey, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but just, you know, let me be the hired help. Okay, it will put food on his table. It will give him a job, but it won't get him a dad. He won't be a son. He'd be an employee. This, this speech, this uh, plan uh, of the, the, the younger son, it isn't going to fix the real problem. The, the real problem of the relationship that he broke when he shook down his father and went dancing out the door. But in a pig pen, in a far off place, it's all he's got. My, how identity gets distorted when you invest everything you have in pursuing your own purpose. 
to the point that you end up believing, I'm not a child of God. Now, Ben, last week, he helped, um, helped us understand why in the son's mind, and perhaps in our minds too, why it might have been, been an actually kind of remarkable thing if the son could have uh, succeeded in this negotiation and go from being estranged son to hired worker. Because again, we all know by now, uh, he disgraced his father and the whole community. And what the son was expecting to go back to was a retaliation of sorts that was equal to the, you know, the middle finger that he gave them when he went storming off and left. Kezaza, like been described last week. It would be this thing where the, the whole community would come out and greet him on the edge of the town, clay pots in hand, throwing them down at his feet, publicly shaming him. It's, it's the anti-welcome. That's what the son is expecting that he's going to face when he goes back home. So again, speech prepared, it's the only chance he's got. And if it works, well then at least he doesn't have to share a slop with the pigs. Speaking of pigs, reminds me that uh, there are some big buts in the Bible. And one of them comes next in the story. The son slinking along towards home, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The camera pans back over to... To, to the father, who, whose eyes are, are fixed on the horizon. No clay pot in his hand. No, no look of vengeance in his eyes. No, but he's, he's welling up with compassion. And he runs out to meet his son, giving him a full embrace, full of joy, overflowing. The, the son, he starts in on the speech, but he can't even finish it. Because the father is making preparations. He starts barking out orders to the servants. Get the finest, uh, the, the finest robe and get my ring and put it on his finger. New sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf for this son of mine. Don't get that twisted. This is no slave. This son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is now found. It's time to celebrate. <laughs> the son's plan didn't work. <laughs> it was just blown away by this tornado of joy bursting from the father, engulfing the son and the whole community. Come celebrate with me, for my son was dead and is alive again. It's not what we would have expected. It's not what the son deserved. It's not anything that the son could have engineered on his own. He's <laughs> you know, sitting there at a banquet table in the presence of his family and his whole community under the arm of the father. I mean, the only way that happens is because the father makes it happen. And Jesus tells this story because he wants everyone to know that God, the father, makes that kind of thing happen. 
God is powerful enough to do it when we are powerless. He is loving enough to do it when we are disloyal. God loves dead people back to life. And and if you find yourself sitting in a similar kind of place where you just know, I, I I didn't arrive here on my own. I couldn't have engineered this by my own strength or ingenuity. I I don't deserve the grace that I have received or the blessings that have come to me. And I'm among a community of people that has loved me more than I could ever love them back. If that's you, then say amen and praise the Father. And if you don't, find yourself in a place like that well, then it's, it's time to come home. And you need to know that when you do turn to come home, this is the Father that is waiting for you. And his is the party that he's inviting you to join. This is a church, a community of people that is just trying to be faithful, to be a faithful reflection of the God who says, welcome home. You know, we've been able to hear from some people from our church over the last few weeks, Carrie and Brandon, they really blessed us, being honest about uh, their own journey, the, the longings and the rebellions and the pig pens and their, their encounters with this father that Jesus has been showing to us. Uh, listen again to their words. It was more because of the poor choices that my dad did at that point. He tried to kill us. I dropped to my knees and I just asked God to forgive me. And I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior because I, I just knew. It was a moment of realization of what my limitations were and God's power. Like I felt horrible, you know, while I was trying to seek God, I was mocking him. And he finds ways to get my attention and say, nope, I got this. The same thing over and over for me was surrendering control and to know that he's waiting for me like a father. When I first accepted Christ, I felt a weight lift off of me that I cannot explain. And it was my sin, you know, the weight of sin. And, you know, that that included mocking Jesus Christ. You know, it, it included mocking him. That was part of my sin. And I knew when I accepted him, I was made new. Like, I didn't have to deal with that guilt, um, especially in that moment. But as I continued to learn about God, I understood that more. You know, I understood his grace and his forgiveness. But immediately, I felt drawn to mountain. Like, I was like, man, I got to go there and I got to get baptized. I remember telling my family this. And keep in mind, like, I went from being a Buddhist, like, all these different things. And when I told my family, like, hey, I'm a Christian, and like, I'm following Jesus, like, you guys need Jesus too. (laughs) They all thought I was crazy. I walk into church, I just remember going into the back and everybody prayed over me. 
and they just asked me to share my story a little bit, and I did. And then Gene baptized me in front of everybody, and it was an amazing feeling. Like, all I could do when I got into the bathroom to change was just cry, and knowing, like, I have a new life in Christ. God has changed the way I even see my dad today because, like I said earlier, when I was 13, he tried to kill all of us. Two years ago, Hurricane Maria happened in Puerto Rico. And at that time, I had the opportunity to either leave him behind over there or bring him here. You will think, why will you bring it here? Because God said so. Why wouldn't I? If God has forgiven my mistakes, I have probably sinned the same way, and God forgave me. So my dad has no legs. He cannot see well. He cannot hear well. And he's a dialysis patient, so he does need a lot of medical uh, help. I could have said, well, you got what you deserve. No, at that point, we decided, Luis and I, we're going to bring him here and we're going to love him to the point that he's going to ask himself, what is wrong with you people? And that's what we did. After being with us a year, he decided to go back to Puerto Rico. And I was okay with it. At that point, it did not break me down or make me question my worth. Gene, he invited me to his men's group. He was leading a small group with uh, men my age, and all the guys were awesome. That was October of 2016 when I started that men's group. God has just blessed me beyond belief. Like, I just, it's amazing what God has done in my life. When my dad left when I was a kid, I felt unworthy. I was looking for acceptance, for love, for a place where I belong, for my identity in so many things. Doing drugs, tripping out, you know, being so far from God. And now I know I can find all those things and more in God. You know, the Father sees me as his son. I'm covered with his blood and I'm made new. He has forgiven me. He has chosen me. He loves me. He protects me. He guides my steps. I'm not lost anymore. You know, I'm not wondering anymore. Like I know, I know who God is. Amen. Uh, I know Brandon. I didn't know all that about him before, but I know he's now he's been teaching my kids. He's helping them experience the love of the Father. And Carrie, too, leading the whole Mountain Kids program at Aberdeen with that same humility and joy that is so evident as a result of God remaking her. Bo both of them, they live like people who've been invited to the party, who've been, they've been loved by God and loved by people, and they want to serve the world by inviting more people to the party. I, I hope you know that you're invited today. This, this welcome mat has been placed here for you. Now, uh, that, that could be a happy ending. Uh, it's great, it's, it's just like we hoped, better maybe even. But it's not the end of the story. Jesus presses on. And we need to allow his words to press us a little bit today. Press us a little bit further, to push us to consider what, 
what we really think about the story as it's come so far and about where it turns out. Jesus is not finished. And when you know something about where he started and who he's talking to, well, then you understand why. See, he's applying some pressure right at the, like right at the place of tension. And when he pushes there, it's either going to cause greater pain or greater relief. Or maybe some of both. Uh, you'll have to see what it does for you. Finish it out now, okay. Uh, retrace your steps first in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Jesus actually tells three stories right in a row. Uh, this is the third one. There, there was one about a lost sheep and then a lost coin and now a lost son. Same pattern in all of them. What begins with loss and panic then uh, culminates with a reunion and a party, okay. Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. Let's have a feast and celebrate like we, we just read. Now, it's not uncommon for Jesus to be talking about parties or for him to be at parties or for him to be talking about parties at a party. Uh, that's what he was just doing in Luke chapter 14, in fact. Uh, in Luke 15, Jesus is gathering with um, another crowd, we'll just say a diverse group. Uh, verse 1 says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners is kind of this stock phrase in the New Testament to mean like all of, all of the, the outsiders, right? All of the outcasts that they don't belong, they don't live right there, the despised group, right? Like for us, we'd say all the, all the Republicans you know, or all the, the Democrats, you know. I got you there. You thought I was going to stop after one, didn't you? No, are all of the, I don't know, you, you finish. All the people that you know, you just like, how could those people be so, you know, you don't associate with them, they disgust you. And then, um, speaking of disgust, well, the, the disgusted group is there too. Verse 2, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were there muttering, this man eats with sinners and he welcomes sinners and, and all of that. So now these, these are like the insiders, right? The religious leaders. They're the kind of people that you would expect to find around a man of God like Jesus. They, they've got their stuff together and they're doing life right, supposedly. So you can see there's some tension here. Now, notice something else, too. Um, back in Luke 14, if you turn back one page, Jesus concludes there with, with this hard, these hard teachings, all right? He, he's inviting people to follow him, but there's a cost to it, and Jesus isn't shy about that. And he finishes that by saying, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, he's saying, I know my teaching is not going to be accepted by some of you. I know it's going to be difficult or it might not square with your expectations or with how you think the universe should be run. But whoever is willing to open their ears to my wisdom, then let them hear. And then chapter 15 begins with Jesus in the middle of all of these people. And it says the, the tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders gathered around Jesus to what? Hear Jesus. The religious leaders, all of the insiders on the other hand, were bellyaching, as my dad would say. They're grumbling. They're running their mouths, not opening their ears. The outsiders are open and receptive to Jesus' words. The insiders are reassuring themselves with the sound of their own voice. That's when Jesus begins to tell about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Do you have ears to hear? Does Jesus have anything to teach you, you suppose? 
like particularly about other people and their value, or about God and who God welcomes, about insiders and outsiders and who's who and which one are you? Or do you kind of have all of that already decided in your own mind? You've got that, that figured out pretty much, like who's good and who's bad and who's deserving, who's undeserving, who gets another chance, who gets what's coming to them, who's lovable, who's unlovable. Do, do you get to determine all of those things? Do, do you get to tell God about how to sort through all of that? Because you already know. You've got it all figured out, made up in your mind about, you know, those Democrats, those Republicans, the straights, the gays, the, the dropouts, the sellouts, the addicts, the atheists, the Christians, the Muslims, anybody, fill in the blank. Do, do you get to decide? Do you get to apportion God's love according to your terms? Or does Jesus get to tell you like it is? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. About a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. They were lost, but then were found, and a celebration began. And while the party's going on, back to verse 25, the older son was out in the field. And when he came near the house, and began to hear the sound of the music and the dancing. And, and then he found out why all of that was going on. Well, he refused to go in. No, he, he's not going in there. So his, his father, his father leaves the party and he goes out to the boy and he begins to plead with him. But the son, the son says, look, I've been slaving for you all of these years and I never got a party. Wait, the son said, I've been slaving for you? Does he not know who he is either? Oh, but this, this son of yours, he says, to the, not, not my brother. No, this kid of yours, he says to his dad, he wastes everything and, and you're throwing a party for him? Having been at home all these years, working with dad, eating with dad, talking with dad, going to worship with dad, has, has nothing of the father's generosity and kindness, has none of that rubbed off on the older son? Is there no resemblance to the father in this one called by his name? You know, as a person who's gone to church my whole life, I've had to ask myself similar questions sometimes. In response, the father can only say, my son, <laughs> my son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. So did the older son soften and go inside and join the party? 
Did he embrace his younger brother and raise a glass to the reunion of a family and a community? We don't know. Because the story ends right there. It ends with the father outside the party chasing after another lost son. So it's a cliffhanger. I mean, the father has made it abundantly clear who he is and what he desires. It's for those of us who are listening, uh, insiders, outsiders, whoever we think we are, it's, it's for us to decide how we're going to respond. I don't know what that means for you or where that leaves you. But as you're considering that, let me try to... Um, close us off and collect our thoughts with five brief things to take away. As, as people who have heard the words of Jesus, we need to understand some things. Number one, God wants everyone at the party. Okay? Everyone is invited. Now, Jesus, he not only said this, but he, he lived it. He was an embodiment of it. All the so-called sinners and the so-called saints, they were all gathering around Jesus. I mean, just read the Bible, and you're always going to find Jesus. You see him at a feast. You see him at a special meal. You see him going to a banquet. And, and he's all the time, he's, he's enacting what he's preaching. God is having a party, and all y'all are invited, or however the Southerners say it. I don't know. Everyone. Everyone, everyone, including the self-indulgent and the self-righteous. You're all lost, and God is seeking each and every one that in Jesus they might be found. Everyone's undeserving. Everyone has manipulated the Father for their own gain in one way or another. And yet, the invitation still stands. Everyone is invited. <laughs> Number two, no one gets to cancel another. Oh, we're go we'd love to cancel today. That's what we do. Especially, especially those self-righteous jerks, they, their, their prejudice and their ignorance. You know, we see that and then, well, we just respond in kind with our own self-righteousness and, and canceling them, congratulating ourselves that we're not like those people. Like if Jesus told this story according to our kind of values of today, well, then it would end with the younger brother inside with the father, and then they would lock the door to the, to the older son sulking outside because he's too slow to get with the program, that arrogant, ignorant jerk. But then... What would the meaning of the party be in the first place? I mean, the whole reason we're having the party is to celebrate the return of an arrogant, ignorant jerk. <laughs> no, no, no. In Jesus' story, the father leaves the party. Again, sacrificing his honor, just as he did when he hiked up his robe and chased after to meet the younger son. Okay, Sacrificing his honor, again, this time to go out and, and plead with his pouting older son. Okay, So, so what, what's the younger? Is, is the younger son inside? Is he pouting as a result of the father going to do that? If the older son comes inside, is the younger one going to reject him? Would those of us who've received grace 
be so stingy in dispensing it? Now look, this, this doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries, that there are, that there are no uh, consequences for wrongdoing. We talk about that some other time. This is just to say, we've got to note that the character of the community around Jesus is different. It's different from the world's practice of actively seeking to create enemies, harden myself against them to the point that I'm committed to pursue their demise in order to validate myself. All right. We're different than that. Number three, don't call an outsider someone who God has invited inside. Right? Now, the more you hang around Jesus, the more it's kind of hard to figure out like who, who's an insider and who's an outsider because Jesus is always flipping that around and, and confounding it. He's redefining it based upon himself. There's no other standard. He's redefining it based on himself. And, and that's just a good reminder for us to not be so concerned all the time with who's, who's in, who's out. Okay? I mean, that, that's Jesus' concern. Okay? Is it a concern for you that Jesus invites those you consider outsiders to the party? That, that's the whole reason for the celebration. When an outsider comes to their senses and returns to the Father, apparently there's rejoicing in heaven. And Jesus came, after all, to bring heaven to earth. And he's inviting us to live in it. Number four, own your stuff. This is what I say to my kids all the time when they're so busy pointing the finger at, at what everybody else is doing wrong. Right? So uh, here's the thing. Jesus followers uh, are people who recognize that the sin that infects the rest of the world infects us as well. Okay? The older brother couldn't see that the evil that was expressed in the younger son also lived in him. And so the story ends with him in a standoff with his father. But look, as we are eager to rid the world of evil as we should be, well, let us be most zealous to allow Jesus to purge the evil from us. And then, then we might actually be a compelling witness to the rest of the world. We might be a vehicle through which the spirit of Jesus can defeat evil and redeem and make the world new as only he can own your stuff. Let, let Jesus deal with all the tax collectors and sinners and self-righteous sticks. Okay, he can handle them. And finally, number five, we got to party like the Father. You know, this whole series of stories that Jesus tells, it's, it's designed to uh, create, to bring into being a new kind of community. A whole new kind that the, the world has never seen. It doesn't follow the world's rules. This is a new kind of community where supposed insiders and outsiders are all invited and all united around Christ, resulting in this uncommon joy and hospitality and welcome and repentance and forgiveness and, and a love that is, is so uh, head-turning. It's like uh, I love what Carrie said about their family's commitment to invite their father to come and live with them. And she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to love him to the point that he says to himself, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Jesus, he's putting pressure on us. Okay? It might be a good pressure, but he's putting pressure on all of us to ask ourselves if we want to be part of a community like that. And we might say yes. It might sound like a great relief to us, and I hope it does. Okay? It, it, it didn't sound that way to the older brother right away. But when we, when we come in and we are welcomed 
and we're embraced and we're brought to a place at the table. I hope we also know that the Father, the ultimate party planner, is still outside pleading with others to come in. We got to be ready to party for others. We got to be ready to celebrate and welcome. When we do this thing that we're doing, I mean, some of us are doing it online, but when we do this thing and we gather, I mean, it's a party every weekend. We don't, at Easter, of course, we celebrate Jesus is alive. We do it every Sunday. Jesus is alive. Let's have a party. When we do this thing, we should expect that, that people who, you know, the world would paint as outsiders, that would say that, well, they don't belong because they don't match up to certain uh, standards and so forth. We should expect that those people would show up when we gather here. Our dinner tables, our lunch dates, our barbecues can be reflections of heaven when we extend an uncommon invitation. And the same is true. We can be a reflection of heaven when we forgive, when we seek to understand instead of to cancel, when we are generous to undeserving people. Those are the hallmarks of a community that makes Jesus their Lord. And to anyone who thinks that they might want to be a part of it, Jesus says, welcome home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the wonder of what you have shown us in Jesus, a love that is so impossible for us to describe that it would extend even to us. You know the places to which we have wandered. You know the ways we have been self-indulgent and rebellious and bent on living our own way. And you know all the ways that we are self-righteous and trusting in ourselves to save ourselves and we figure it all out, God. Remind us that we're not that smart. <laughs> remind us that we are in need of you so much in need of your love. And God, love us back to life. Love us back to home. Receive us into your, into your arms. We are so grateful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>